Joshua is, uh, he's into it. He really is at his best when he draws penalties. So, and he did that while we was watching. So he's, he takes on that whole atmosphere of rough and tough stuff. But uh, Brenda will be flying back tomorrow. So uh, she's enjoying the, a few more days. Uh, thank you, Mark, for what you shared. And we are a missions church. Uh, when I talked with, with him the first time, I was like, man, I really want to help this family. I want to support them. So we picked them up. Before we even met in person, uh, we picked them up. So be in prayer for them. Colorado was a joy. Uh, it's a little bit colder than it is here. But appreciate Brad. Uh, is there anything Brad cannot do? <laughs> He's everywhere. Uh, and thank the Lord for him and Tolliver. I don't know what we would do without them. But uh, he filled in last Sunday morning for us. And uh, Nora and Dennis filled in on the Wednesday nights that I was gone. I, I just appreciate their ministry so much. I'm going to take you this morning to the Gospel of John, chapter 8, if you want to turn there, and chapter 9. I have way too many verses today. So, is it all right? This probably should be a two-part sermon, but I'm going to give it my best shot to get all squeezed in on one message. Um, I've titled this Healing by Way of Spit. The Power of Spittle. The chapter begins in chapter 9 begins with Jesus healing a blind man who's 40, at least 40, and he's been blind his entire life. It goes all the way back to his birth. Whatever was wrong in gestation, he arrived as a little baby, totally blind. And the disciples asked Jesus a question at the start of chapter 9. And, and I'm, I'm going to go back to 8 here in just a moment because they're, they're connected. It's just one narration there. But they asked him a, really a, an unusual question. Lord, did, did he, was, was he born blind because of sin? Think about that. Did his parents sin? And I can understand that question. But I don't get the second question. Did he sin? Now that meant that he must have done something really bad during gestation. I, I don't even know how you follow up with that. What, what do you mean did the baby sin? He says, he was born blind. And they're asking the Lord, was it sin that caused this baby to be blind? And the Lord's response was, neither of those options. And he said, this happened so that the work of God would be displayed in this man's life. For 40 years, he was blind now. You, I'm just telling you, like the scripture said, he said, this was, this was setting up for God to show his great power. So that kind of is pressing a little bit about how a baby is born blind. And the Lord says, well, it was all to come to a place of God showing his power in this man's life. So in John 9, 4, Jesus makes this statement. As long as it is day... 
We must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So if you couple that with what he had to say, in order to see, we have to have light, right? No one can see without light. Light is part of vision. And Jesus is saying, I am the light. And he's about to give light to the eyes of this man. Before we get to verse 6, which is where it really starts off, I want to take you back to chapter 8. And Jesus had this back and forth with the Pharisees, and it's like a boxing match. Chapter, I just, I don't know, I just read 8 and 9 so many times. The more I read, it's like, yes, this is, this is intense. Chapter 8 is incredibly intense. And I'm going to start with verse 12. In John 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke again to the people. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Does that sound familiar? Because he almost mentions, it's not word for word, but in 9.4, he mentions about light being necessary and that he is light. And the right and step that Jesus takes, he speaks it in chapter 9. And I think that Jesus already knew what was about to take place. In fact, this man was older than Jesus. So I just wonder, of all the trips that he took with his parents to Jerusalem for all the festivals, most of the, most of the time that they were there, it was to celebrate festivals. Could it be that he remembered that guy when he was a child, when he was a teenager? Because he's a little bit older than Jesus. It very well could be that he was very much aware of that man's blindness. So I'm going to try to hit these points briefly because, I, like I said, I have way too much material here. And the Pharisees in verse 12 claim that Jesus is the only voice of witness, and therefore, because he's the only voice of witness, it's not trustworthy. And the Lord appeals to the Father, his Father, as that other witness, that dual witness, and this is the response of the Pharisees in verse 19 when they said, where is your father? Now, there's a lot beneath the surface here, but that question was a loaded question, and it was a direct question. Really, they were questioning Jesus' legitimacy, that he was born out of wedlock without a known father. This is exactly what they were getting at and they're about to call him something else later on in this, in this back and forth. When you read chapter 8, it reminds us of arguments. Have you ever seen people try to have a discussion on a news channel? Just any news channel. It doesn't matter what it is. When they have two experts, do you ever watch them talk over each other? And that's why you shouldn't watch news too much. Because it's very frustrating because they won't let... And I, I really think that probably when Jesus was having this discussion with the Pharisees, that it was just like that. It was so intense. In John 8, verse 56, Jesus had this to say. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Now, all of this led up to this point. It was intense. It was going on. I don't want to read the whole chapter, chapter 8, 
but he was talking about you. Are, he even said you were of your father, the devil. And so they even turned around and said, well, you're a Samaritan and you're demon possessed. It just sounds like some of these discussions on the news. They were, it was punching back and forth. And then in verse 57, the Pharisee says, you're not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham and what happens next just sends him over the edge. Verily, truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. I am was a declaration of deity. That was solely reserved for God, the great I am. And listen to their response. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. And that's like chapter 9 continues. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying. He was claiming deity, and they wanted to stone him. And it's kind of like when they were going to try to push him off a cliff in Nazareth. It wasn't going to happen. Just said that Jesus slipped away from them. He hid himself. I don't, wouldn't you just like to see that in, in a movie? How did he do that? They're picking up stones, and it's almost like, well, where did he go? He hid himself. There's so much in there I wish I could really see it up close and personal. But I want to show you a photo of what Jesus did. If you have that graphic up there. Um, that he spit in the dirt and made some mud. Do you have that photo? Made some mud. I borrowed. There it is. Made some mud and smeared it on his eyes. See, when I thought about this, I thought, well, they, he smeared it on his eyelids. But his eyes was blind already. Right? So I really believe that this is so neat that this is not the only time Jesus used spit to get something happen in healing. This is the only time that he spit in the dirt and made some mud and applied it to his eyes. Let me just read verse 6. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes, not his eyelids. And he says, go, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. He went home to show his family that he could finally see for the first time ever in his 40 years of living. His neighbors, in verse 8, and those who had formerly seen him, begged, asking, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. And he replied, the man that called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He didn't say eyelids, did he? Because it didn't really matter because he couldn't see. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. And they asked him, where is this man? And he said, I don't know. And the very next thing is that they go to the Pharisees to press the point. This is a continuum. They're investigating a man's healing 
Why? Do you know why? Sabbath. It was Sabbat. You weren't supposed to do that on Sabbath. They questioned the man about his healing. And they decided that the Pharisees decided, well, we don't think he was blind to begin with. And I'm paraphrasing the rest of the chapter. So they call his parents. Somebody goes gets his parents and they're starting to, you know, ask, interrogate the parents. So all the parents is obviously saying in this chapter that they're on pins and needles. They don't want to be there. I think they're having to be regard, have, have regard and guard themselves of being too exuberant because this is their son. They can't even celebrate their son being healed because of the threat of being kicked out of the synagogue. And so they're kind of guarded in how they're responding. And, and they said, well, yes, that, that, that's our son. And he was born blind. And yeah, he can see. And we have no idea how that happened. Because it said they were afraid that they would kick them out of the synagogue, which was everything about it. Well, the thing I like about watching this unfold is that this guy didn't have that same concern. And why would he? 40 years of age, never saw anything until he washed the mud off of his eyes at the pool of Siloam. And all of a sudden his eyes was healed. Now, I don't want to spend too much time in this, but this is one of the few times that something of Jesus, his own person, touches someone else. His spit, his saliva has the power to heal. Isn't that interesting? He smears it on his eyes. The man washes and he's healed. The membership in the synagogue did not really matter as much to that man. I want to pick this up in verse 28 of chapter 9. And there's this great exchange with them. He's like, he's going back and forth with them. They don't believe him. They're trying to find a reason why they should banish him. And it gets really intense. This is verse 28. He said, they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow referencing Jesus, we don't even know where he comes from. Here's verse 30. I love this guy. Don't you like this? We don't even know his name, but I like this guy. He answers well. Now, that's remarkable. <laughs> you don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And what do you think of that man's argument? It's a pretty good argument, isn't it? But he was just a lowly person in their scale of thinking. In verse 34, to this they replied, such a nice bunch of people, right? You are steeped in sin at birth. Boy, that's a low blow, isn't it? How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. He was gone. They pushed him out. Out of the synagogue. And in, in all of this, this 
absolute devotion of the Pharisees to attack the validity of Jesus, the efficacy of his power to heal. They could not even rejoice on a 40 year old blind man seeing for the first time because Jesus broke their rules. It's almost like seeing disco up here <laughs> for Valentine. My dad would have said, what? Y'all having a disco at church? Well, that's the way the Pharisees were. <laughs> Not that he was a Pharisee. And I know he wouldn't stand for that at all. But this guy's not named, but you have to admire his determination. And he was never intimidate, intimidated by the bunch. And Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. This is verse 35. He, he heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of God, the son of man? Who is he, sir? This is really neat because this guy's been healed. He knows that Jesus must be really somebody important and powerful. Who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. The man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment, and boy, there's so much in this. And I just encourage you to read chapter 8 and 9 together because it's a continuum. When you see what's in verse 1 of chapter 9, it's a continuum. And these are two chapters that belong to each other. Jesus said, for judgment I've come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. And there are some of those Pharisees still hanging out. They heard him say this and he said, what are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see your guilt remains. You know, we just have a, do you, do you realize that the gospel of John, Matthew, Mark and Luke and John are highly selective of what Jesus did? And said, this is, this is a minuscule of the miracles he did and all the things he taught and preached. What we have. And I think when you read a story like this, we have to say this was put in here for a reason. To show the way of the creative power of God by restoring this man's eyes through spit and a little bit of mud. And it all was because it was Sabbath. Let me just inform you a little bit of some of the rules that were in play when Jesus did that. On Sabbath, Sabbat, as they will say in Israel, Sabbat, if you're walking and you need to spit, you need to wait and wait and watch for a rock. And you can spit on the rock but you can't spit on the dirt because it makes something. Those poor people that lived under that, you can't spit on the dirt because the spit does something, so that's breaking the rest. But you can spit on the rock. And Jesus did this intentionally. <laughs> he could have healed the blind man just by speaking, right? He does something. He just, why is he doing that? 
because he's pressing the point that their rules are unreasonable in light of the purpose and, and nature of God. That God cares about them, he loves them, and he's not a strict authoritarian that's ready to slap you down. And there's a lot of people today that may think that God is just like that, waiting for the next mistake they make so that he can punish them. Nothing is impossible with God. And the whole point here is that we need to be on the side of Christ. And we may think that's obvious. Of course we're on the side of Christ. But there's a marked difference between people who believe that Jesus is Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ, and those who are in complete opposition. There's a marked difference. We can be kind to everybody. But we can't be like those who do not follow Christ. We can't be like that. We cannot live like them. We have to be conspicuously different. If light and darkness is exactly opposites, I wonder how opposite we are from the people of darkness. We ought to be appreciative of being kicked out of some things kicked out of areas and activities that we have no reason, no rhyme or reason to belong to. And there's plenty of stuff. We ought to be so, people ought to notice some difference in us. No matter where we're at, what the situation is, the world is in chaos. And I'd like for our praise team to come back up if they will. How about the chaos that's going on in our world? Mention Scott and Laura Martin, what they're doing. Praying for the people in Israel. Praying for revival. And I believe there is revival going on. There's a revival. There's a move of God in Africa. There's a move of God in, in the Middle East. There is a move of God in Iran. You know, Iran seems to be the big enemy. And, but never compare the leadership of Iran with the people of Iran. There's a growing church in Iran. There is a move of God in Iran. It's not mentioned because of all the other news, but God is doing something in the midst of these opposites. Those who are radical about some of their decisions, like the Pharisees were, and could draw a line and says, you stepped over the line, you're no longer in God's purpose. You are an enemy of God. That's how they would tell people. Well, our nation needs a move of God. America could use a revival, right? We could use a move of the Holy Spirit. Can I just encourage you, would you stand with me this morning? Not, don't belong to the chaos. Keep your feet planted, just like this 40-year-old man just would not move off of what God had done in his life, no matter what it would cost him in telling them, that man healed me. That man restored my eyes, healed what was wrong with his vision. And he wasn't going to back away from that. May God stir up something within us this morning to say, I don't want to fit in. To this world I want to fit into his kingdom I want to fit into who he is 
And I think that requires a difference, don't you? Lord, help us this morning to live every day as though it's our last day. 